Webster's Dictionary defines compliance as the action or fact of complying with a wish or command. This is the Compliance Guy. The Compliance Guy. As a healthcare provider or healthcare professional, navigating the muddy waters of compliance can get tricky. And that's why we're here. Helping you mitigate risk while increasing your profitability. This is the Compliance Guy. Now, here's your host, Sean Weiss. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Compliance Guy. It is Tuesday, the 12th day of December in what is left of 2023. So with it being a Tuesday, as always, that means I get to welcome my very good friend, Terry Fletcher, to our hashtag Terry Tuesday episode, which, by the way, is our last hashtag Terry Tuesday episode for 2023. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm sad we're not back together until next year, but I know that you need that time off from everything that you as 2023 has brought you. So, yeah, I'm exhausted. I will be packing up with my wife and we will be heading out to Montana uh, starting on the 17th and we'll be out in Montana until after the new year where I am hoping to get in some uh, horseback riding and some snowmobiling and just a lot of rest and relaxation. Because uh, this has been a very, very long and stressful year, but it's been an extremely rewarding year. So I know we've got a great topic to round out our hashtag Terry Tuesday episodes for 2023. So I'm going to let you kind of set the scenario. Okay. So the, let me set it. So we're on the, the compliance guy, everyone, as you know. So we talk about coding, billing, revenue cycle management, regulations, regulatory guidance, all that. We, you name it, we talk about it. But I think one thing we'd really like to talk about today is looking at, as we go into 2024, have you updated your compliance programs? But specifically, we want to talk about one element of the compliance programs. And with the OIG putting out that you know, seven elements of a successful compliance program. One that we want to highlight is the number four they put, and it's called effective lines of communication with the compliance officer and disclosure program. And what that really kind of speaks to is having a way for your staff to come to you to make sure that if there is a problem, if they find that there's non-compliance, if they find that there is, you know, even anything suspect going on in your office, you can even pull them if you need to, but there needs to be a way of open line of communication between the, either the compliance officer, the compliance team and the entities, the personnel. And that includes, you know, anybody in your office, not just the physicians and the revenue cycle management staff. It could be the front office. It could be back office. um, It could be the janitor. I don't care, but somebody needs to be able to feel comfortable. They need to be able to, without retaliation, be encouraged to communicate should there be a problem. Um, they have to know that it's confidential and there are non they call retaliation policies that are developed and in place and then distributed to all employees. Because again, you want to, we were going to make this positive. You want to encourage communication with your compliance team or officer 
um, for people to report any incidents of potential fraud, any incidents of non-compliance concerns, um, anything, even if it's, remember, it's not just fraud. It could be waste. It could be abuse. It could be lack of medical necessity. Um, and what are the avenues that the person that needs to bring this to the attention that they could uh, make sure that communication is looked at, is actually addressed. You know, and I know you've heard probably hotlines, websites, emails, and even a, a Dropbox, um, you know, that they can report those concerns anonymously. Um, but I, I just think that it's important to address that because that seems to be, and Sean, I'll throw it back to you. That seemed to be one thing that's, that's missed in a lot of compliance programs, even policies, and I think somebody like you who creates these for entities, creates it for hospitals and physician offices, and probably even payers, um, what what are you seeing as far as that element being missed and why is it so important to have it? Yeah. So, you know, Terry, this is, this is such a great topic because the, the fact is there is a lot of guidance or misguidance that's out there. And the document that Terry was referring to is the General Compliance Program Guidance. They call it the GCPG, which was released in November of this year. So for me, um, and, and Terry, I, I, I shared this with you before we went live. Um, for me, the most important part of an entire compliance program out of the gate, okay, because there's so many important parts, but for me, out of the gate, really setting the tone, helping people create that culture of compliance. For me, right after I create the preamble, the very first thing that I put in there is a non-retaliation policy. And I put that in there because we need to, um, uh, we need to make sure that, um, we are doing things correctly um, and that we are that we are not creating a situation for our employees where they are not able to feel comfortable and confident in knowing that should there be a problem, should there be a concern that they can raise those concerns or issues without fear of retaliation against them. And that's why it's so important. It's good. It's, I like the fact that you say it's the, it's the next thing you do before you do the, the mission statement or the opening statement, because the OIG puts it as number four, but until you can get people to bring it forward and let's face it, not everyone knows what's going on on a daily basis in practices in their office and just look at, again, look at this as a positive. You've got so many eyes and ears in your practice. You got, so, and now with, unfortunately, with cell phones and people videotaping and people looking at everything and, you know, trying to be the first one to get a jump on things. It's important that, again, your staff can bring things uh, to your attention and that you can address them. And one of the things without retaliation but I would also, this is something I was talking to my daughter about when she was younger, working at, at some jobs um, before she was a teacher. And she'd always get really frustrated. She worked at Starbucks and she's just like, oh my gosh, these, these, you know, high school kids come in and they don't do their job or this person came in and they're terrible. And I'm like, you can't, you can't 
be about the person. You have to be about the act. And so when, you know, for the, the listeners that are out there, when you're encouraging people to bring forward co uh, concerns about compliance, concerns about abuse, concerns about waste, fraud, whatever, make sure that you also explain this isn't about Sally Smith or, or you know, Joe Jones not doing what you think they should be doing. This is about is the job causing an infraction or is the work causing an infraction in your practice? Is there something that is suspect? It can't be about the person, has to be about the act. And so I think it's important to weed out the personality issue and make it more about um, the, the, the act that's going on. So I think that it's just so interesting when I see a lot of providers that, you know, if, even if they have this in place, um, that you understand what it takes to get this to be appropriate versus just having, and I, and I know we can say this because it's a, a podcast and we don't have too much censorship, but you don't just want a, a complaint box or, you know, box where everybody's just going to be bitching about everything they're doing. You don't want that. You, you want a box that's going to be like, you know, Hey, I'm noticing that we're charging for um, smoking cessation and we're not actually using the forms that are the pulse forms that are required. You know, if I'm in California, you have to have that. We're not, we're not getting the patient to agree to quit smoking first, but they're charging for it. Or what we were talking about on the round table yesterday, you know, people are using template information in their ENM, but they're pulling forward information and they didn't even, they didn't even do an exam today, or they didn't even see the patient or ask them any questions on review of systems. They're just pulling it forward. And even though that's kind of subjective, but I think it's important to also make sure that people that are going to report it understand exactly what it is that you're just asking them to keep an eye out for, you know, encourage it, just keep an eye out. If you see anything that is suspect, anything that is a problem, this is how we want you to let us know. And then Sean, I have a question for you because, yeah. you know, we talked about making it available where they won't be retaliated against, but how does that staff member then know how to, um, that it's been addressed, that, that it's been taken care of by the administration without it, again, being told directly to them because they want to do it anonymously as far as reporting it. Right. So uh, a couple of things, right? So number one, no one should ever fear retaliation for doing the right thing, but keep this in mind. I have a lot of folks that will say to me when I'm going through the process of a gap analysis to build a compliance program for somebody. I have a lot of folks that will actually say to me, well, I just, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to, I don't want to create a problem. I don't want to stir the part, right? Yeah. Well, the government actually says having knowledge of a crime is a crime. Failure to report a crime makes you an accomplice. <laughs> so you got to think about that. Number two, I always recommend to my clients, you need a, an anonymous tips box, right? If you're a small group, now look, if it's you, a practice manager and a nurse, a anonymous tip box really isn't going to make anything anonymous where there's three employees in the company. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Um, but you know, if you have you know, 10, 15 employees, 20 employees, whatever it may be, an anonymous tip box makes sense. Okay. Um, but you have to understand that 
if you make an anonymous complaint, there's no way for somebody to get back to you to let you know that the investigation is over and that either they agreed with your assessment and they put corrective action in place or their investigation yielded nothing to aid in confirming your belief that there was a problem. So sometimes well, that begs the question. Ahead. I have a question for you then. Do you yeah. think it should be anonymous or do you think there should be a culture where anyone can come to, you know, the administrator or to someone that's going to take care of it again without retaliation and be able to report something? I mean, how, how does that work when it's not anonymous? Yeah. So, you know, I serve as the chief compliance officer for a number of large and medium sized organizations across the country. <clears throat> and I am of the mindset that I don't like anonymous tips because I think sometimes anonymous tips are garbage. I do. Um, I think sometimes an anonymous tip is because somebody didn't get that raise or they didn't get that promotion or, you know, somebody, you know, ticked them off and, you know, they just, they want to give people a heartburn, right? They want to give people heartburn. Um, and that happens sometimes, not often, but sometimes. For me, I tell people on day one, I need you to feel comfortable. I need you to feel confident that if you come to me, anything that you share with me is confidential. It's privileged because I work at the direction of general counsel. Now, as the investigation goes on, if some of what you have brought to life becomes apparent that there is a problem, at some point, your anonymity may not remain intact. And I, and I remind them that it's the same thing with filing a quitam. If you were to go straight to the government and file a quitam, while that quitam is under seal, you're anonymous. But once the federal government goes to the grand jury to get an indictment, and once there's a, a, a you know a a um, true bill is what a grand jury refers to it as. It's a true bill when they agree with the prosecutor. <coughs> the government has to release the name of the relayer. So. I tell people all the time, we will do everything we can up to a certain point to protect your anonymity. But after that, there may not be an ability for us to do it. Um, and, and I understand that this could dissuade people from wanting to come forward and wanting to share their concern that there is a problem. But I will remind you once again. Having actual knowledge of a crime, which if an individual or an entity is charged under 18 U.S.C. 1347, which is intent to defraud a federal health care program, you could be considered a co-conspirator. I tell people all the time, and it was funny, Terry, because this was actually brought up in the trial last week that I was in 
And the prosecutor said, Mr. Weiss, haven't you said it's not the crime that sends you to prison? It's the cover-up? And I said, I absolutely have said that. And he said, very smart statement. I said, I thought so. So he, here's the, the, the advice that I would give to somebody contemplating whether or not to make a complaint. Seek legal counsel. Find an attorney who understands health care who you can go to and you can say, listen, I have a concern. It could be a big problem for the organization or it could be a nothing burger. But I need to know whether or not disclosing this information is the right thing to do. And let an attorney guide you but don't just pick up the phone and call the office of inspector general and file a complaint and don't just call the department of justice and file a complaint give your employer an opportunity to understand what your concern is or are if there's multiple concerns give them an opportunity to conduct a bona fide investigation to confirm or refute what you have raised as suspicions or concerns and give them an opportunity to make amends, to put a corrective action in place if necessary, to make voluntary restitution if necessary. And then if you realize that your client has failed to do the right thing, then you could take it to the next step. All right, let me stop there. What are your thoughts? Well, I think also that you brought up a point of two different things as well. There is suspect fraud and abuse, and then there's just noncompliance within your own entity and maybe have two different ways to report that. So, um, you know, for example, let's say that you have a policy in your office of how certain things need to be done, but somebody's not following that policy. So that goes to a supervisor. That's somebody that has to address that because, you know, if you have policies, you need to follow them. But if you're billing for things that you're not doing, then obviously that that's a totally different animal altogether. And I think that's what Sean's referring to as far as the fraud, waste and abuse. And and when you get into, you know, um, legal situations where you have to call an attorney, what what I'd like to address, too, but is when we talk about compliance, yes, there's there's all kinds of extremes. And then there's, you know, the pullback to just the basic there, we're hoping that you can also address concerns of just policies not being followed, um, maybe workflows that are not best for the patient outcomes, which the thing is, it's, it's kind of to me like, let me kind of put this in perspective, um, before marijuana was legal, okay, everyone was like, oh, you know, I'm not going to tell Wait, them because it's just, it's, it's just legal. Fun. <laughs> it is in California. <laughs> I don't do it, but people in California are like, this is cool. I'm like, yeah, no. But let's just say before it was, was legal in most states, people wouldn't even really bring it to anyone's attention because they thought it was trivial. Well, come to find out, if you look at the statistics out there, and you can find this on any website you Google, sometimes starting small <laughs> leads to bigger things. So if people think they can get away with something small, then they see, well, what else could I get away with? Um, practice recently, and I think 
Sean's definitely run into this. I can't imagine in your 20 plus years where we'll see maybe an occasional um, copay, you know, I don't want to say stolen, but let's just say it was taken by somebody at the front desk and they didn't, nobody noticed just because, you know, that person just really wasn't making much money. And they just said, you know, I really needed that $10 today. Well, then they found out that, well, that was pretty easy. So let me see if I can do it once a week. And then let me see if I can do it to every third patient. And I saw that in a practice and it just built from there. And then that person was now saying, well, let me open the mail. And then they started, you know, when checks were paper and then they started signing over checks themselves and adjusting it off. And so nobody realized cause that, you know, didn't have a balance anymore for the patient and the patient wasn't complaining cause they didn't have to pay out of pocket, but it went from a $10 pocketed copay to now almost, you know, half a million dollars in stealing money from the practice. So anything, and I'm not saying you should report anything trivial, but you need to realize that when you see infractions of whether it be policy, compliance, or rules, or regulation, you need to be able to report it. And I would start with, you know, anonymous, but if you believe that it is truly something that is suspect, that is that could get the practice in trouble, that's beyond just telling somebody so you get it off your chest, that's when you can go, there are legal hotlines that don't cost you anything. And they will answer the phone just to see if you need to pursue it. And you just let them know it's anonymous. They don't even look up your number. They're not allowed to. And just say, this is what I'm thinking, but I don't know for sure. And they'll let you know what your next step is. So you don't even have to pay for that advice. That That's something that's encouraged. Um, but it, but it, please don't be discouraged in your office. And for the administrators listening to our podcast this week, as you are going into 2024, create um, employee-friendly policies, employee-friendly um, opportunities to be able to find those leakages, those holes, those situations where you want to fix. You want to be proactive. You don't want to have to go to court or have to deal with whistleblowing situations. And the, the last thing I'll leave with this is that if you don't, and that staff member continues to see the problem and it's not addressed, it's not you know, there, it doesn't seem like it's a practice concern and you're still monetarily benefiting from it. So you're getting money from something that maybe you shouldn't. And it's always about the money. Follow the money and you know where the issue is. That person is going to be a problem later on in life. They're going to not only possibly bring it to a whistleblowing status, but it, it could expand to the point where it's like a freight train. You're not going to be able to stop it. So Put these policies in place that allow those things to be identified without retaliation for your staff and encourage the staff that, you know, if you see anything you want to address, this will not fall back on you. But then you'll also find those employees that want to get everybody in trouble for everything. So you will get that happen. You will see somebody, you know, trying to put something in for every little thing that happens. You know, they they, they didn't close the refrigerator after returning the, the cream for the coffee. And I think they should be fired. Yeah, we don't want those kind of people <laughs> with this. We're talking about true infractions of policy compliance. And, um, and I don't want to say the law because Sean and I are not attorneys, but we do deal with expert testimony and witnesses and et cetera for legal work. And we just know what the, we know what the, the landscape is. And so anything small, address it before it becomes big. Because you've heard the phrase, don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Well, you've got to take care of those molehills or all the ants come out and it becomes a mountain. And it's it's really scary. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Well, I think this was a great episode and topic and 
great way to end 2023, which was such a fun year to work with you. It was, and I appreciate you, my friend, and I look forward to seeing you in 2024 with more great topics. Absolutely. All right. And to each and every single one of you, thank you so much for tuning in, logging on and hanging out with Terry Fletcher and I each and every single week as we get to talk about our favorite topics of coding and compliance. We will be back in early January 2024 with our first hashtag Terry episode of the season. If you follow us on LinkedIn, I will make sure that we put some uh, posts out there letting you know when the first episode will be. We'll be starting with, it's hard to believe this, season seven of The Compliance Guy in 2024. All right. As always, a special thank you to Terry Fletcher for all of our hard work and great insights each and every single week and for being a part of this program and making it the success that it has become. And thank you to each and every single one of you, our faithful listeners, followers, friends. Um, without you, none of this would be possible. So we will be back in early January of 2024. Have a happy, healthy, and prosperous holiday and new year. And remember, be good to yourself, but more importantly, y'all be good to each other. Take care. You've been listening to The Compliance Guy. Sean has been doing this for 28 years. He holds 10 national board certifications. He's a partner and the vice president of compliance for Doctors Management, LLC. He's a subject matter expert in federal court. He's lectured at the most prestigious institutions. He's engaged with members of Congress in both chambers. So what we're saying is he's qualified? We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, you can find us on social media at The Compliance Guy. See you next time on The Compliance Guy.